<laughs> Captain Pigslot here. If you're like me, you like to keep your financial affairs private, away from the prying eyes of your fellow me hearties. <laughs> you have to find yourself a discreet little hidey hole that even those pesky revenue men won't find. But sometimes it's not safe enough, even when X marks the spot. <laughs> That's where Skelton Nag's new offshore treasure fund comes in mighty handy. Bag up your silver doubloons and all your golden gems and sail away to a deserted island in the Americas. Place your ill-gotten gains and questionable tax returns in an old oak chest and the lads from Moonfleet do the rest. Moonfleet.com Put your trust fund in the hands of Moonfleet today you'll get this piggy bank. <laughs> Absolutely free. <coughs> Dave, you dirty swab. <laughs> the Richard Usher Podcast. Assorted audio antics from Larynx Productions. Written and presented by Richard Usher. April is a month I can look forward to every year. Well, of course it is. It it happens every year. Uh, The weather becomes that little bit warmer. The sun shines that little bit brighter. And I can enjoy all that without the horrors of hay fever that plague me in the summer months. I also get the delights of filing the deferment forms for my student loans and paying out a small fortune on servicing my car. Proof there that I have absolutely no business acumen and no mechanical skills whatsoever. Speaking of deferment forms, the amount of money that you have to spend on printing and postage just to prove you're poor is utterly ridiculous. Then, of course, you have to hope that it gets there in good time in the post. Mind you, if I'd lived in the Old West in the 19th century, the best postal service I could have expected to find would be the Pony Express, which began on the 3rd of April, 1860. Sacramento is just a memory now, snowy boy. (laughs) It's just me, you and these here mountains, and ten days to deliver a stack of mail. God darn it! Engines! Come on, Snowy, kick up some dust! Yeah! 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 Come on, Snowy! These redskins will kill us for sure! Come on, boy! White man, ride like devil, but white horse know when to stop. So, this is it, huh? You gonna kill a United States messenger just doing his duty? What's it gonna be? Fill me so full of errors, I look like a porcupine. Or will you stretch me out in the sun atop one of these here mountains till my skin is like leather and my bones are bleached? What do you think we are, white man? Primitives? No. We have many great parcels. We need taking over Par Desert. We not so dumb as to take them ourselves. Huh. Parcels, huh? What's in those then? 
Rifles you've taken from the hands of dead U.S. soldiers to be distributed to other tribes ready for an uprising. Gold, maybe, you've taken from prospectors. Buffalo hides. No, we have many, many forms to send in to Great White Taxman before end of financial year. Our twistery take on the anniversary of the Pony Express in the Old West. By a curious coincidence, the 3rd of April was also a day for innovation in Britain, 130-odd years earlier, when Robert Walpole became the very first Prime Minister of Britain. Morning, uh, Prime Minister. Oh, yes, morning, Humphrey. Yes, I'm, I'm still trying to get used to the title myself. A, a curious moniker, what? Yes, indeed, Prime Minister. Uh, I have those bills and uh, parliamentary papers for you to sign, sir, if, if you have your uh, quill to hand. Ah, <laughs> absolutely, Humphrey. Wouldn't do to hold up the business of government purely on a whim now, would it? <laughs> I mean, for goodness sake, we're not French, are we? <laughs> So, um, this new title of mine, this role of Prime Minister, what does it actually mean, Humphrey? I mean to say, what do I do exactly? Well, Prime Minister, one should set out to become extremely popular in general with the voters. Uh, what, what about the people, as we call them? The Great Unwashed, Prime Minister. Oh, we just ignore them. I mean, if they can't live beyond 40 without catching cholera or something, what good are they? In general terms, Prime Minister, you get to create the blueprint for your job description. You could make it fun. Reshuffle your cabinet every now and then. Uh, keeps them on their toes. Make some dashed silly comments uh, to the gentleman of the press occasion there. Become extremely unpopular for your policies after about ooh, six months. You could up the flat rate of the house and window tax to three shillings per house, and then watch them get riled. Oh, it'll be terribly good fun, Prime Minister. Yes, I, I suppose it would, yes. You could always pretend to back down, or make a U-turn to make them all happy again. Whilst, of course, sneaking through an even more unpopular policy under their very noses. How about a nice war? Perhaps an invasion? How about Bavaria? Well, um, we'd need a very good reason, Prime Minister. We could make it up. <laughs> Nothing in the rules about that, is there, Humphrey? Well, as I say, you are writing the job description, uh, Prime Minister. How about the danger to public decency... Created by enterprising Bavarian brothels. We could say they have uh, weapons of mass seduction. <laughs> yes, Prime Minister. You're listening to the Richard Usher podcast. And you just heard my take on Robert Walpole becoming the first to take on the title of Prime Minister in the UK back in April 1721. A gentleman who goes by the title of Master of Mirth is the legendary Ben Bernard, and he's got his mind on a seat in the house too. Blog off Ben Bernard, Series 3, Episode 3, Seat of Learning.
can't find anything worth listening to on my little portable wireless. Eee. There was a time you could call it a tranny. Short for transistor radio. But you try popping into curries and asking about their trannies, and suddenly you're accosted by the local constabulary and given a caution. The world's gone mad. <sighs> Not in the paper either. It's difficult to find entertainment for the smallest room these days. My mother has a sexist toilet. There, I've said it, and, it, and it's true. For years, she had a perfectly normal, bog-standard lavatory. Now it's wrong with it that a bit of plumber's tape wouldn't sort, as me dad always says. But the 1980s champagne green had all but died out as a shade, except perhaps in some dodgy seaside cafe that still thinks that frothy coffee and half a Kit Kat wedged in your ice cream sundae can cut the mustard. Breaking news. It never did. Any road up. My mother decided, after a visit to her second cousin's new swish bungalow, a veritable shrine to chintz and porcelain trinkets. Ooh, I hate that word. Trinkets. Makes me shudder. Ooh. Reminds me of Frank Frost, the dirty-fingered fishmonger. It was always a bizarre sight down the old wet fish shop, old Frosty checking over his stock of place, haddock and his, his Malaysian cobblers. <laughs> if a particular fish looked less than shiny, it, it, it'd lick his fingers, and with them dripping in slaver, he'd fondle its scales like he was some kind of pescatarian Marlon Brando. Filthy beggar. W where was I? Oh, oh yes, the, the chintz factor. <laughs> Good name for a game, sure, that. I might mention that to my agent. Aye, well, after this visit to her, her second cousin's new pad, mother wanted a makeover at the Bernard family seat. Uh, and sadly, the toilet was an early victim. Out went the champagne green suite and crocheted seat cover with matching doll in a woolly dressed toilet roll holder, and in came a new plastic MFI suite in beige, with chrome handles that bubble and rust after you squirt a bit of dettol on it. That new toilet seat was lethal, dropped like a ruddy guillotine. For a fella, it's nigh on impossible to do your doings, control your aim, have a shake or three, and hold up a snappy seat. Any male toilet user tends to give up after the second middle-of-the-night incident. These days, me and me old dad have to sit down for all our toilet purposes. Our masculinity is stripped from us by this sexist toilet seat. I guess we'll never again be flushed with pride. E. Seat of Learning was written, performed, edited and produced by Richard Usher. Blog Off Ben Bernard is a Larynx production. <laughs> ben Bernard, a serial complainer, venting his spleen once more. Speaking of serials, back in April 1914, the first ever film serial opened to audiences at a cinema in New York. Okay, quiet on set, everyone, please. Uh, the perils of Pauline, take one. <laughs> Today is the day I finally get my revenge. <laughs> I shall tie Pauline to the railroad lines. 
and have my wicked way with air before the train arrives. <laughs> Hello, Polly. You seen Rowley? Hello, Den. Yeah, I think I saw Rowley sniffing around after little Willie. Cheers, Polly. I'll go and check the dag bar. All right, I'll go and check the laundrette. Hello, Doc. You in here, Mr. Robert Dobley? <laughs> I have you in my power, Pauline. Was I who stole away Rolly and little Willie? <laughs> There's no one to save you this time. I shall tie you to the railroad lines and have my wicked way with you unless you pay me five hundred dollars. Oh no, not the railroad lines. I don't have five hundred dollars. The only money I've got is tied up in the Christmas club. There is no Christmas club money, Pauline. I stole it away, and Arthur will take the blame. There's no one to save you this time. And cut. From the perils of Pauline to the perils of the sea. And I don't mean the time that John Prescott spent as a steward for Cunard. Although, if you want to push a point... Anyway, one of the most legendary events to take place in the history books occurred in April 1912, when the RMS Titanic struck an iceberg and sank. The doomed vessel set sail from Southampton on the 10th of April. I say, my good fellow. Morning, sir. Have I missed it? Missed what, sir? This, um, Thai attic, or uh, <laughs> whatever its name is. <laughs> no, sir, she, she's right in front of you. Bless my soul. Do you know? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> now, I'm Sir James Partington Sturge. <laughs> my wife booked this tugboat here for a little jaunt, and I, I've got just uh, one or two things to to take aboard. <laughs> no problem, Sir James. The uh, porters will take care of your bags if you'd like to go aboard. All right, chaps. <laughs> All the way. Uh, but pardon me, Sir James, yeah, but uh, we, we, do, uh, we do have a policy as regards to cargo. <laughs> just how many boxes are you taking? <laughs> oh, just the necessary, young man. Uh, a case of Darzeeling, <laughs> 25 boxes of assorted macaroons, <laughs> 10 or 20 hats, a Steinway, a keg of brandy, complete works of Shakespeare, two dozen dress shirts, an assortment of gentlemen's outfits, a selection of ladies' dresses, uh, for my wife, not me, you understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> uh, that, that should all be fine. Uh, although we already have a selection of fine pianos on most decks. Okay, forget the uh, Steinway. <laughs> So, uh, that just leaves the big game rifle, the tiger skin rug, <laughs> fondue set. <laughs> Very good. Backpacks, <laughs> large duffel coats, helmets, trekking clothes, goggles, crampons, skis. You won't need all those things, sir. We're not going anywhere near any ice. Ice? <laughs> That's the kit for my Amazon expedition, you silly young pup. <laughs> Some 57 years before the Titanic hit the drawing board, the great engineering brains were devising something with a little more longevity. 
the Great British Post Box. Originally painted green, these icons first began to appear in London in April of 1855. So, here we are, gentlemen, of the Postal Service. One of our six newly installed pillar boxes, ready for the dispatch, collection and dissemination of all written correspondence. Uh, you will find these beautifully designed temples to human communication on every street corner before long. Now, before we proceed with our training session, are there any questions? Yeah, what the hell are you talking about? Oh. Any other questions? Postman Watkins. Uh, Postmaster Smithers, sir, why, why are they green? Because, Watkins, very soon our postal service will be the envy of the world. I'd prefer red, to be honest. A good eye-catching colour is red. A red pillar box? Ridiculous notion, Watkins. That would never catch on. Now listen and observe. Once you arrive at your designated pillar boxes, you must take out your keys thus. Insert your keys and open your pillar box thus. Carefully remove the second class letters from the pillar box and scrunching them up, place them in the bottom of your satchels to provide a cushion for the first class letters, which you may now remove and place gingerly in your postal satchel. Yes, Watkins? Uh, postmaster, sir, uh, what, what happens if the customer's written instructions, you know, on, on the envelope? Such as? Well, uh, uh, fragile, or perhaps do not bend. Fragile? Do not bend? What kind of namby-pamby attitude is that, Watkins? Britain did not forge an empire on a principle of do not bend. If something needs to be bent to the British will... Then bent it must surely be. The British postman must not pend out the whims of those who insist that things must not bend. The empire is forged on Great Britain, scrunching, crushing and bending all opposition Watkins. Fragile will not do, Watkins. Do not bend is no way to run a country. We postmen must lead the fight for the empire. Forcing the will of the British and a certain amount of revenue raising junk mail through the letterboxes of the lily livered, whether they want it or not. Another first class delivery of Twistery brings us to the end of this third podcast. Now, as April has its fair share of maritime events across the ages, I'll leave you with the final legendary tale from the history books and possibly the most famous mutiny ever to take place. Coconuts. Grab him, lads. Drag the tyrant from his base! me, you lovely rascals! Captain William Bly, we, the shipmates of the good ship Bounty, 
have had enough of your treatment, your regard for your crew. What on earth are you blathering on about, Mr. Christian? All I said was that I was a little disappointed that someone had taken some of me coconuts. There you go again, obsessed with coconuts. What was it Bly said, Birkett? He said, I'll sweat it for you rascals. I'll make half of you jump overboard before we get through the Endeavour Straits. Oh, come on, lads. Uh, I, I was just ticked off that someone had made off with some of my private stock. I was, I was just overreacting. Blame the ship's grog. Come on, lads. Let's all be friends. No fear. I've been in hell for weeks with you. 23 weeks in Tahiti. With fresh food and drink. Comfortable billets. All the free love you could desire with the native women folk. We've had enough, Bly. It's not fair to the men. We need a tough commander. A real tyrant. A man who'll flog you as soon as look at you. We don't want comforts and sunshine. We want old floors and damp and scurvy. We need to know cruelty, to know where we stand. So we're setting you adrift, Captain. You and your coconuts, fresh fruit and those ruddy scatter cushions. Then it's back to hardships for the men of the bounty. Yeah! You're all completely stupid. You have been enduring the award-avoiding Richard Usher podcast. Written, performed, edited, and produced by Richard Usher. Jazz comedy theme courtesy of bensound.com. The Richard Usher podcast is a Larynx production.